Welcome to World of You, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm David McKechnie. With a death toll of 58 and rising and more than 500 injuries, last night's gun attack on concertgoers in Las Vegas is already the deadliest such incident in US history. My fellow Americans, we are joined together today in sadness, shock and grief. Last night, Speaking on Monday afternoon, President Donald Trump indicated he would visit Las Vegas on Wednesday to meet law enforcement and victims' families. The gunman, who reportedly took his own life, was named by police as Stephen Paddock. He was 64 and a resident of Nevada. His brother Eric spoke to reporters earlier. Dumbfounded. I mean, uh, it doesn't... So last There's week- nothing. Last communication. There's nothing. After the hurricane. I mean, I can show you the text. He said, yeah. you know, how's mom? <laughs> Did you get Our out? Washington correspondent, Suzanne Lynch, is on her way to Las Vegas, and you can read her report on this fast-moving story in Tuesday's Irish Times or on irishtimes.com. Now to Barcelona, where Catalonia and Spain in general are taking stock after a tumultuous weekend. Sunday's independence referendum in the region delivered a startling result of 90% in favour, on a turnout of some 42%. More startling, certainly, were the scenes of violence that went with it, with Spanish riot police moving in to break up crowds at polling stations and seize election materials. Some 900 people were reportedly injured. The sight of police batons lashing out at peaceful voters, some of them elderly, caused shock around Europe and seems to have galvanised the Catalan cause. I'm joined by Guy Hedgeco in Barcelona, Guy, a remarkable weekend there. What's the atmosphere like there in the aftermath of yesterday's violence and vote? Well, Dave, I think it's sort of the calm after the storm. Um, I mean, yesterday was an extraordinary day. Uh, Sunday was such an extraordinary day in in so many ways. Um, For those who are voting in in good ways and bad ways. Today, um, there's a kind of a feeling of uncertainty in the air, as there was before the referendum, because we didn't know exactly what was going to happen. Now there's uncertainty perhaps for a slightly different reason. We don't know how events are going to unfold exactly over the coming days and coming weeks. And there's also still a great deal of tension in the air. Um, And a lot of that tension has been generated by the day of the referendum itself. Those police charges, uh, the police violence um, that that we saw and and which has been doing the rounds uh, around the world um, has it seems uh, fanned the flames of, of the anger that was already there in, in Catalonia. Yeah, I, I, as you say, both sides taking stock today. And uh, it, it seems that Catalan leader Carlos Puigdemont has uh, seemed a little less strident uh, today about his promise to declare independence within 48 hours. Um, is that is that the case? Y- yes. I mean, it, it's, it's a strange situation because um, straight after the, the, the referendum or the, the night of the referendum, he he seemed to suggest that he was ready to push ahead with a, a, a unilateral declaration of independence. Uh, that w- at least could be read into his words, although it wasn't necessarily explicit. But he said that Catalonia had earned the right to gain independence. Um, and a lot of people read into that, you know, th- this idea that um, in the following days there would be a unilateral declaration. Um, now, he I wouldn't say he's peddling back on that necessarily, but he hasn't really followed through on it. Um, he hasn't been, he still hasn't been explicit um, since then. Certainly today when he spoke, he was asked about it. And once or twice, he seemed to sort of suggest that um, he, you know, that, that, that a declaration of independence was certainly a possibility, but he 
seem to refer to this referendum law that was passed by the Catalan Parliament um, in very controversial circumstances just uh, a couple of weeks before the referendum, um, and which says that you know within 48 hours of the results being confirmed, being definitive, then um, the Catalan Parliament will issue a declaration of independence. And he, he referred to that law, but he didn't say the declaration was definitely imminent. Now, we're expecting the results, the definitive results, to come out probably uh, midweek, uh, Wednesday. 48 hours after that is Friday. But at the moment, we don't have any indication that we're going to have some sudden declaration like that. I think what we're probably is the case, or, or possibly is the case, is that there are different opinions about this within the independence cause, because... The, the Catalan government um, and the pro-independence majority in the Catalan parliament is very broad. It goes from Carlos Puigdemont's uh, fairly conservative nationalists across to social democrats and then all the way across to anti-capitalists of anarchists right on the left. And they all have you know, slightly different visions of how fast um, this independence roadmap should be pursued. So I think there's probably going to be a lot of wrangling behind the scenes. Just looking at, at the violence yesterday, you, you were in Barcelona. I suppose it seemed from the outside as though as the whole city was, was kind of um, under, under siege somewhat. Uh, but what, what, what feeling did you get on the ground or were, were, were sort of the pictures, were they just sort of more isolated incidents, if you like? Well, I mean, in a way, they, they were relatively isolated incidents in that the, the police were not going into every single school and, and doing that. They, they chose certain schools many of them in Barcelona. Um, and there's been a lot of theorizing as to why certain schools were chosen. I mean, for example, we know that w one of the schools that they targeted was that of Carlos Puigdemont himself, or the, the one where he was due to vote. And the, the, the police at one point seemed to be sort of following him around in, in, in helicopters, trying to work out where he was going to vote. And at one stage, um, he, the car he was in sort of hid under a bridge so, so that the helicopters wouldn't know which way he was heading. And he, he eventually voted somewhere other than where the, um, the the police sort of entered forcibly. Um, but um, I, I mean, I, I think the overall feeling was that even at places where um, the, the police did not sort of forcibly enter, there was kind of a nervousness. I mean, I was up at 5.30 or so at a school in Poblo Nord, which is sort of on the sort of outside the, the, the center of Barcelona, slightly to the east. And um, People there were expecting the Catalan regional police, the Mossos de Escuadra, to come along at um, around seven o'clock or so, um, as they were across the region. That was the order that had been given for the, the, the regional police to turn up at seven o'clock in the morning and to at least um, check and speak to people there. And the, the orders they had been were to close down those schools, close down the voting stations. Those were orders from the, from the Madrid government. Now, um, there was kind of a tension when, when they arrived these two uh, Catalan police officers arrived at the school um, and there was this kind of hushed tension. Um, and then essentially the, the, the two officers said, right, well, you can get on with it then. And then stood off in a corner looking slightly kind of uh, uneasy um, as they watched um, the morning's events um, unfold. Um, but what, what people were not sure about was whether the, the Spanish police would then turn up later, you know, mid-morning as they, as they did at other schools um, in Barcelona and elsewhere. So there was kind of this constant tension throughout the morning as people were wondering, are the, police, are the, are the Spanish police going to arrive and are they going to behave the way, the way they've been behaving elsewhere?
Well, what did uh, some of the people you met voting, uh, what were they saying about their decision to vote and, and about the process? Um, people seemed very emotional um, throughout uh, for, for various reasons. Yeah, I mean, they, they really were. I mean, the people I spoke to, I mean, one woman I spoke to in the school where I was um, first thing in the morning, um, there was a, an 82-year-old woman who was the first person to vote in that voting station in the morning, sort of sometime after nine o'clock, I suppose it was. And uh, I think because she was elderly, she was allowed to go in first and she cast her vote and then came out and everyone sort of burst into applause and cheered. And I just went up to her and asked her how it felt. And she she couldn't contain the tears. I mean, she had been born in 1935 and she said she she'd been born when Spain was a republic. And um, so, you know, very soon after she'd been born, uh, there was a civil war and then four decades of dictatorship. Um, so she could remember very clearly those dark days. Um, and now clearly the last 40 years or so have been um, democracy. But for people like her, it's not been um, it, it's not been enough democracy, I suppose, as a way of putting it. Um, and they're not happy with the, the arrangement they have. I mean, there were many other people who younger people who, who, who felt a similar way. Um, they felt very passionately that this was a historic day. Um, that there had been many years of campaigning leading up to this. Um, and that even though it wasn't taking place under circumstances that they felt were ideal, despite all these obstacles that had been put in their way by the Spanish government, by the courts, they still kind of felt quite sort of um, festive. There was quite a celebratory atmosphere, um, certainly at least until the, the news emerged later on about the um, the violence in some of the other schools. And the, and the people who are against independence are they keeping their head down? I assume they weren't they weren't on the streets too much yesterday, or or, or maybe they were. Well, no. I mean, the, the thing about the people who oppose independence is they they do keep a lower profile in Catalonia than those who support independence. Um, and I think they they kind of. It, it's a great complaint by the unionist cause that they're kind of they say they're not allowed to. There's a sort of um, kind of social pressure on them somehow, you know, that that it's frowned upon to be unionist, even though, you know, many polls would suggest that they make up a majority. You could say, despite the uh, the result of the referendum, and and if you look at you know the result of the referendum, you know, ninety percent in favour of independence, less than ten percent against. Um, that would suggest that you know, nine out of 10 Catalans want independence. Now, that is almost certainly not the case. The point is that um, most people who, who want to remain part of Spain clearly stayed at home or stayed away from voting stations because they, uh, they felt it was illegal. They, they believed the Spanish government's argument that this, this was an, an illegal referendum um, and they didn't want to be a part of it. But it's a problem that they, that they tend to have. They're not as vocal, they're not as organized, they're not as united, um, the unionists in Catalonia, as those who want independence. Um, there, there was a demonstration at one point in St. Jalma Square, which is where the sort of institutional square where the Catalan government has its headquarters. And a, a group, I mean, it wasn't a very big group, but sort of a few dozen unionists gathered with a, a Spanish flag. And perhaps inevitably, they started to have a standoff with um with uh, pro-independence uh, supporters. I, I just saw some video footage, footage of it, and it looked pretty tense. Um, but th for the most part, th they weren't, um, they certainly weren't as visible as those who wanted independence yesterday. 
I, I, the, the police crackdown was, was widely seen as a, as a huge tactical blunder by Mariana Rajoy, the um, Spanish Prime Minister, um, perhaps a, and perhaps as a, because it's a major boost for the secessionist movement. Is that how you would see it? He might not see that himself in that way, but is that how you would see it yourself? Yes, I mean, I, I, mean, I think it's just one of, or perhaps the greatest mistake he's made um, in his political career. I mean, yeah, people often say, oh, he's, you know, he's such a canny operator and he may look a little sort of ponderous and hesitant, but he really knows what he's doing. Now, there's a certain amount of truth in, in you know, in in what people say and that he, he's been a remarkable political survivor. Um, but yesterday, it, it, it really didn't make any sense sort of in, in logical terms for for his government to give the orders um, that they gave to the police and the civil guard to move in like that. I mean, that the, the independence cause wanted, it seems, two things yesterday, um, or it wanted one of two things, um, if you believe uh, many reports, and, and they seem, it seems pretty credible, but they wanted, obviously, to vote. Um, they wanted to stage a referendum. And uh, they also wanted to cast the Spanish state in a bad light, the Spanish government and the Spanish state in a bad light. Um, and to an extent, uh, they managed the first thing. You, you could argue that it wasn't a proper referendum. It wasn't a conventional referendum, but they did manage to vote to a certain extent. Um, the Spanish government didn't manage to prevent people from voting altogether by any means. And then the second aim you know, the, the Spanish government was cast in a, in a terrible light by the way the police behaved. Um, it was a complete blunder. Um, now, I, I can only put that down to um, the pressures that Rajoy was feeling back in Madrid or from elsewhere in Spain, pressures from uh, the media, the right-wing media in Madrid, which is um, very vocal, very aggressive at times, the right-wing of his own uh, Partido Popular, the Conservative Party which governs Spain, and also perhaps put it down to pressures he felt from um, his own electorate um, who were looking to him to take a firm stand on the issue of Catalonia. Um, it seems maybe he was responding to those pressures. Now, you know, Rajoy is not someone who tends to um, take or want to take the difficult decisions if he if he doesn't have to. And I think Yesterday, perhaps he felt that sending in the police was the easier decision somehow. Um, it would it would um, placate people in the rest of Spain. Um, and I think he probably never imagined um, what unfolded and the backlash. Um, and it, it just seems to me a, a, a big, big mistake by him. So I suppose this impasse has, has been going on a long time and it's only gotten worse now. Um are there uh, what are the options from here, and are are there any good ones? It it seems the EU doesn't want any part in it. Um, is there any chance that may change, and, and and that they may at least act as some kind of honest broker in the in the process? Well, I mean, Puigdemont has has appealed to the EU, you know, quite uh, openly to to get involved, to mediate, to intervene, however however you want to put it, um, and. You know, that's kind of been that hasn't been something he's he's done so openly before. But the, the, the Catalan, the pro-independence movement has always been much more, it seems, sort of um, more uh, willing to to court sort of international opinion and and to look to the international uh, community um, that more so than um, the government of Rajoy, certainly on this issue. And the Rajoy government, you know likes to see this as an internal 
a Spanish issue, a domestic issue, and no one else should get involved in it. Um, I mean, the answer is I, I don't know if the EU will get involved. I mean, it's it's tread it's trod very carefully around this. The, you know, there there were some uh, um, European politicians who made uh, who, who who condemned the violence um, on Sunday. Um, there haven't been sort of any of the, we haven't heard yet from any of the, the sort of really influential countries in in you know in the the heart of Europe like France or Germany speaking out about it. Um, but the I mean the the statement that the EU made the European Commission made today about it was kind of uh, uh, supporting Rajoy's uh, stance in terms of the referendum, saying the referendum was essentially illegal, and also warning Catalans that if they break away from Spain they will lose their EU membership. And, you know, that is quite a, um, a stern threat. Um, but it also did kind of rebuke Rajoy as well, because the commission also said that, um, you know, violence is, is basically not the answer. And that, you know, seemed to be aimed only at, at one party, um, that is the, the Spanish government. Um, but it's certainly the the European Commission wasn't wading into this with that statement and really rolling up its sleeves and saying, right, we're going to get involved by any means. So I think if there is any involvement by outside parties, by the EU, it, it will be a very sort of slow, gradual, kind of diplomatic process. Guy Hedgecombe, Barcelona, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, Dave. Thanks to today's contributor in Barcelona, Guy Hedgecombe. Today's podcast was produced by Declan Conlon. I'm David McKechnie. You can find Worldview and other Irish Times podcasts on whichever platform you use or at www.irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts.